and I, I can still to this day just recite the whole thing, but the biggest part of it was life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. Yeah. So, and to me, I'm like, oh, 90%, like, great odds. That's an A minus in my book. So I was like, okay, like, A's great. <laughs> All right, welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Verity Podcast. I'm alongside Coach Monroe over there. Dude, what's going on? Hey, man. And we have uh, Coach Chelsea as well. Uh, Chelsea, what? how do you say your last name? Ranieri. It's like Canary, but, but with, with an, an R. R. Okay. <laughs> That's good to know. I was, I was looking that up, and you know, I was stalking you a little bit on Facebook today because I needed to see the spelling of the name, <laughs> and I, I was just like, I have no clue how to say this name because it's a cool last name, right? It's not Price, which is... So generic and easy and everything like that. You know, or Miller. Oh, dude, yeah. that's one thing yeah. Morgan gave me so much crap about. She was like, I can't wait to have the most vanilla last name ever. What <laughs> was what was Morgan's uh, maiden name? Raff. Morgan Raff. Raff? That's a little, little more unique oh, than that's Miller. That's pretty cool. But yeah. Yeah. I like that. Morgan Miller sounds better than Morgan Raff. I think it has so. a nice ring to it. Yeah. Alliteration is great. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. All right, guys, today we get to talk about coaching, gymnastics. We get to hear Chelsea's story. We get to talk about CrossFit nutrition and anything else that we'd like to talk about here. Um, first, guys, what are we working on as far as fitness goes within the gym? I know you two are actually working on a competition coming up in November. Chelsea, is that what you're working towards right now? Are you working on something else? Talk to us about that first. Yeah, so this past year was the first year that I really was like, okay, I want to get more competitive i want to actually go to competitions kind of see where i lay across the country so like doing the open with the new structure of the open the quarterfinal the semis and the games going to the quarterfinals and being really challenged made me want to be better and i think after being a college athlete you get this addiction to success and you want to continue to grow so now, after that had ended and we took a little bit of recovery, I said, okay, I want to do some competitions, so let's get after it. And then Monroe and Pat and Carly, we had been talking about kind of what we're looking for and what we're looking to get out of it. And we said, well, why don't we just form a team? I feel like we have, we all have very great strengths and we can work together on our weaknesses to mm -hmm. build a really strong foundational team. So... At this point, I'm I'm training for that, and then the MAC coming up is just really exciting. So, I'm just really excited to be in an environment where I'm competing next to really great competitors and people that are going to push me to be the best that I can be. Yeah, I love it, Monroe. What you working same. on? Same. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, same. I really, you know, I've kind of had. I've been doing this for a long time now, and so I. I think I'm coming into it this time around with a little bit of a different mindset about it where, you know, if I can be healthy and work on my weaknesses, like actually work on my weaknesses, not like work on the things that I like to work I on. I think people like at. myself look at you and we're like, Monroe has no weaknesses. What weaknesses do you have? Uh, so just like upper body, just all kinds of uh, pressing, really upper body pressing. Okay. Um, and I've also been like, I've been trying to not, like, speak that on myself, though. So that's one thing, like, I've been kind of working on is... Why do you, you not know, want to speak bad about yourself? No, not bad about myself, but not speak that on... Like, speak that around myself. Like, I don't want to say... Yeah, unpack that a little bit, Like, huh? I don't want to 
say, oh, well, I have an upper body pressing weakness. Like those words just came out of my mouth. Right. I just confirmed that that is my weakness. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on trying to like recognize that. And instead of saying like, oh, yeah, you know, the one thing I'm really bad at is strict handstand push-ups. Like I'll say that. And I've so said what, that, so that what, would you, what would you say instead? Opportunities. Uh, yeah, well, like, you know, like what I'm working on is my upper body. I'm working on my strict handstand push-ups. Uh, you know, like I'm trying to sure up a hole that I have, you know, but it's getting a lot better. You know, like just framing it from a... I just don't want to speak the truth that, or like confirm that I have a weakness as my truth instead have my truth be that I'm working on my problem. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think it's kind of like, oh, what's your one rep max? And I think when you put a, um, a cap on yourself and you put a ceiling on yourself, then it makes it seem like, oh, I can't break through that. It's kind of like breaking through the glass ceiling. So for example, I, used to say, oh, I'm, I'm really bad at, I'm really bad at this. Like, I'm really bad at wall balls. And I feel like then that happens here, with everybody in the gym, right. and I'm, I'm really bad at that. <laughs> I am, right? But I believe putting good things into the universe, like, oh, I'm really excited to get better at yeah. this, and look at it more as an opportunity. And once I started doing that, wall balls, like, they're just not an issue for me anymore. Mm-hmm. And for me, before it was a mental... It's believing in yourself that you can do it when it gets tough and just knowing that you can push through anything. And I know, I I mean, I had the best college coaches for gymnastics and they just, they used to say, we had a seven minute mile test that you had to run a mile in under seven minutes and everyone would freak out about it. But really it's just, you look at it as one step at a time, but she would always say, you can do anything for seven minutes. Mm -hmm. So when I look at a Metcon or an AMRAP, I said, okay, I can do anything for this amount of time. And really that the self-talk that you give to yourself is even more valuable than the training that you're doing, especially if you're talking down on yourself. I was talking to Morgan about this literally same thing last night. And I was, you know, she was, she was saying, I was like, oh, you know, so you don't work on the one thing that you need to, which is double unders. And she was like, yeah, because every time I get to do double unders, I like do a couple, I trip. And then I think to myself, like, why am I even doing this? Like, I'm just never going to get them. And I was like. That's the that's the problem is because you're you're saying to yourself, why am I never going to be able to do this? Why am I not good enough? And I was like, that's CrossFit. I was like, you having that conversation with yourself and being able to convince yourself that you can do it. That's what CrossFit is. And if you can train that aspect of talking to yourself in the gym every day, then when you get into like real life, when things are actually hard then it's like, oh man, I got this. Because even though I just had a negative thought, like, man, I'm never going to get out of this pile of debt I'm in or whatever. You know, if you think that way, yeah, you're never going to get out of it. You know, but if you're like, hey, I'm just, you know, I'm working towards being better at budgeting or whatever. It's just a, sh- a mindset shift. So. Mm, absolutely. Super cool. Yeah, that's, that's a huge little nugget, I think, just for life, right? I, I think the word opportunity used, Chelsea, that's very appropriate within that context. And I'm the sucker as far as making excuses, whether it's, you know, typically it's a heavy barbell or maybe some really high level skill or anything like that. But that's, that's a great way to start this show off. Uh, Chelsea, we get to talk about you a little bit more. Uh, first, just tell us about yourself. Where are you from and, and how did you get here? Okay. So, well, I'm originally from Gilbertsville, Pennsylvania. That's about 40 minutes west of Philadelphia, but my, both my parents are from New York originally in Long Island. And so I'm one of six kids, 
I have. I did not know that about you. I have four brothers and a sister. I'm actually the fifth. Um, so I have one younger brother and everyone else is older than me. Um, but growing up, everything was just revolved around sports, family, love, and teamwork. And I think what really was a pivotal point in my life was when, um, I, unfortunately, my sister was diagnosed with cancer when I was young. And at that point, like, you're so young, you just don't, you can't how, wrap your how brain How old were you it. when she was diagnosed? I believe I was 10. Okay. I was 9 or 10. So you definitely knew what was going on. Yeah, I knew like something that. was wrong. Okay. And I remember after she had surgery, I vividly remember, like, coming downstairs and we had to rush her to the hospital because, like, something went wrong with the procedure and she was bleeding very heavily. And it was just, like, a very scary moment. And my parents just said, look, like, we're all, everyone's on deck. Um, so I remember getting a job, like, very, very young, probably illegally, <laughs> so that, um, <laughs> you know, you can make ends meet. And I just remember watching my dad. Uh, my sister was like, I want a field hockey stick. And he would, like, find quarters in the couch. He would look under, like, cushions. He would, like, look in the street. He'd look in the car. And my mom and dad did everything that they could to make sure that we had every opportunity in the world. And when I saw them do that for my siblings, I thought, I need to give 110% because that's what they gave me. Um, so I took that very personally. And when my sister was struggling, it was, okay, wh what can I do that's going to make this situation better? And my whole family was that way. And like, thankfully, she's recovered. Like, she's been cancer free for a very long time, which is very great. Um, but as I progressed through gymnastics during that period of time, my parents, um, they basically said, hey, we're, we can't do gymnastics anymore because we can't afford it. And my coach came to my house and sat my parents down. And they were like, there's no way she can stop. Like, she's, you have a really great opportunity. So they worked with us to make sure that I didn't have to stop gymnastics um, financially. And it was one of the greatest things ever. And I just remember, too, like, during that really hard time, my my parents were like, hey, like, it's going to be really hard to celebrate Christmas this year. We're not really going to celebrate. And I was like, that's okay. We have each other. Like, we'll do, we'll do whatever. And I just remember one night hearing a knock at the door and looking down the stairs because I was like, oh, what's going on down there? It's like right by my bedroom. And my mom opened the door and there was an envelope and inside was just like a bunch of cash and it said like Merry Christmas. And I get emotional every time I talk about it because there's just so much good in this world and I don't think people realize that. So yeah. when I had that opportunity to be a gymnast, I was like, I'm going to be the best. And I know my, my siblings are always like, Chelsea got more than everyone, like blah, blah, blah. And they, like they play, they make fun, but really my, all of my brothers and my sister have come to me and like, you just had an opportunity and you were not going to take no for an answer. And so I was very fortunate to have gotten a full athletic scholarship to George Washington University, where not only did I have really great success individually, but we were able to have our first conference championship title and our second one during my senior year, uh, where I was co-captains with my best friend, Alexandra. And I actually made a NCAA Nationals experience from winning vault at the regional and going to the national. and with a torn labrum. So like that was, it was just like everything <laughs> that was thrown at us. Like I 
I didn't know what it meant to be on a team until I was a college gymnast. And then once I graduated, I went to like event planning and sports. And then I was like, oh, I just, I want to coach. I, I coached in my club gym. Um, there was this, this young girl. I, I think her name was Rebecca. She was the only one who didn't ever kip. And she was like, I need to get this skill. So I was like, we are not, we're not going to stop until we get it. And she'd be both committed to one another. I was like, I'm not going to stop until you get it, vice versa. And she finally got it, and she just started crying. She was so happy, and then I started crying. Mm. So I was like, okay, I definitely have found my profession. Like, I definitely want to be a coach. And fortunately, my, um, who was my head coach um, and led me through my, like, really great success at GW, called me up and was like, hey, like, come work with us. And I, I literally was like, are you serious? I was like, this isn't a prank call, right? Because at that time, I didn't have a job. I just, like ended my contract and I didn't know what was going on in my life. So I moved here about three years ago and- And was that to take the position over GW? Yes, so I took the assistant coaching position for the women's gymnastics team at GW. And it's just, it doesn't even feel like a job. Like it's, people are like, oh, what do you, what's your job for a living? I was like, I don't have one of those. I have a, I have a passion and profession in That's uh, really special. Mm -hmm. Uh, I felt, I felt the same way when I was operating Ashburn CrossFit, right? Yeah. Very same way. Maria, I'm, I'm assuming you also feel that way. Is that right? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I think you said two things that were really, I guess, impactful. One is like, I hope that my kids say that about me <laughs> when, <laughs> when they're doing a podcast in 20 years. Yeah. Like, I hope that my parents, or I, you know, that's the type of parent that I strive to be is to give my kids everything. And so that one day they'll be like, my parents did everything they could to make sure we were happy. Um, yeah, super cool. There was something else yeah. in there, but yeah, there was a lot of good stuff. So. <laughs> yeah, I talked for a long time. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, what what was the greatest lesson that you learned growing up through through that adversity that you took kind of into your adulthood? Oh wow, I think for me, it was that, and my dad actually bought me this sign. I have it hanging in my apartment. It's just that you never give up. It does not, it just does not matter. Like when you decide that you're finished, you get to decide. There are, a lot, there are a lot more things in life that you can control. And when you're faced with adversity like that, you can, you have two bucket, buckets in front of you, the uncontrollables and the controllables. And you could list out every reason as to why things aren't going to go your way, or you can put everything in your control. So I couldn't control that. My sister got cancer. I couldn't fix her like that was something I couldn't do so I didn't waste my time thinking about all those things I couldn't do it's like okay well what can I do I can be really positive I can write her cards I can make sure her clothes are clean I can get a job I can make money I can do whatever I can that's in my control to make the situation better and if you look at it that way everything that you face in life it's okay be upset for 30 seconds like if you want to like complain or like put out in the universe, like, okay, these are all the things that suck. Okay, that's done with. Now what can I do about it? Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of people that waste time being frustrated. And that's a word that people say, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't know what that word means because I personally think using that word, just the way it sounds, it's like, ugh, frustrated. And why waste time being, like, just be like, okay, I'm upset about this, this is why, can't control that what can I do about it so that was probably the biggest lesson is okay what's right in front of me 
how am I going to attack this? Like, how am I going to make the best out of this situation? And just looking at everything as an opportunity to grow instead of looking at it as Mount Everest, like, oh, I'm just never going to make it up there. Yeah, I mean, that goes back to what Monroe was talking about right early on when he was talking about, you know, positive talk, not putting something into a context that's going to make it a weakness. But I think that's probably one of the greatest, like, life hacks you can do is really controlling what you can control. And I, I learned that kind of at a hard way, kind of at a young age, too, back when I was 22. But it was... It was also like a real blessing, right? Because I think, too, myself, right, when I was younger, I got so caught up in like what if scenarios and I worried about the future all the time. You know, I would try things, not do things. And it's like, no, control what you can control. Either you do do it or you don't do it. Um, You can or you can't, right? Um, So on and so forth. I think that's a really good message just to kind of get out there in the ether. And I think that really helps you mentally probably more than anything else. Well, I think attitude is everything. I know... We have, um, Charles Swindle has a poem, um, it's the attitude statement, and like part of our fitness test was reciting the attitude statement word for word. And I, I can still to this day just recite the whole thing, but the biggest part of it was life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. Yeah. So, and to me, I'm like, oh, 90%, like, great odds. That's an A- minus in my book. So I was like, <laughs> okay, like... A is great. That's a good idea. <laughs> but like to me, it's like, okay, like, oh, so that, yeah, you can look at it like, okay, this is really, this really sucks. And like keep fueling yourself with that. But then why not, if you feel yourself the other way and just change your mindset and change your attitude, it's, it's yep. way easier. It's kind of like if you go into a workout and you're like, wow, this is going to suck. And you keep saying that over and over again. And that's the whole awesome. time you're like, wow, that's, that really sucks. Instead yeah. of going like, okay, this is great. This is an opportunity. And then you finish and you're like, smiling and you're standing strong and you got one percent better that day and that's something i say when i coach here at verity is right before they start i'm like okay let's get one percent better like find one thing that you're going to get a little bit better at today because that it's the little wins that accumulate to the big win mm-hmm. yeah i think people spend too much time like dwelling on their emotion about something and not just really you know that's something i've been working on this past year is like through 2020 and everything, like, you know, talking to him, it's like, there's so much in the world that's out of your control. And like me feeling however I feel about it doesn't matter. And like, I think that a lot of what you see with social media these days is like an extra echo chamber of people like wanting to say how they feel about something, but it's like, it's kind of irrelevant how you feel about anything. Like there's what can you control and what are you like, what decision are you going to make? Your emotion can, I think, impact the decision that you ultimately make. But as long as you understand that the facts need to make the decision, not the emotions, um, I think you can see better success with things. Yeah, I think emotion can also just delay the action that you take on whatever it's going to be. Lifting a heavy barbell or making a really tough decision in life or where you're going to go to school, doesn't matter what it is, right? Because you can get so caught up in how you feel that you're sad or you don't know or that you're really worried instead of actually you got to make a decision you got to do something and taking action on something is a great way just to to go forward regardless of how you're going to feel right uh so, I think it's too, yeah go like, ahead sorry chelsea oh no you're fine i think it's one thing that i was always told was which might sound harsh to some people but it's not what you feel it's what you know you can be in the middle of a workout and you can feel tired or you can feel muscle fatigue but you know that you can still do it. And having that 
knowledge and that confidence in yourself that, okay, I know I'm going to be fine. I know I'm going to get there because it's like wasting your time with the emotion side. But I just remember being, it's not what you feel. It's what you know. Okay, we're going for it. Just, just own it. And if you own that in every moment or try to own it in every opportunity, that's going to go, that's going to bring you way farther down the road, whether it's in CrossFit or gymnastics or in your profession or in your relationships. It's just overall, you have to really own your confidence. Growing up, did you, did you only do gymnastics? Did you do other things? Talk to us about that. Um, so I did, I did gymnastics. I started at age three and then I actually really wanted to play baseball. All my brothers played baseball. And so I played baseball. I did soccer. Um, but at soccer, I was always like doing handstands, doing cartwheels on the fields. They're like, we can't have this. Like you can't, you can't do both. Um, so I actually, and I played basketball. So I did, um, a lot of different sports, but I had the most fun doing gymnastics. And at one point after I believe level eight, my parents were like, okay, you got to pick one. Like which one? Where, do? where is level eight? Like how old are you at that point? Um, level eight. So I was in seventh or eighth grade at that okay. point. So it was like, okay, you got to make a decision because if you're going to go for it, you're going to go for it. And my parents are like, if you're going to dedicate your time to gymnastics, you got to go for like, are you going to go the elite path and try to go Olympics? Or are you going to go the college route? And for me, I was really wanted to do college gymnastics. It just was, we had a lot of girls that I looked up to in my gym who were college gymnasts and they would come in and they were just immaculate. Like they were beautiful. They were strong. They were confident and they wanted you to be better at whatever it is you were doing. And they didn't even know what my name was like coming up to me saying, Hey, like you should work on this. It'll make you better. And you just, because someone gave you that attention, someone that you put up on a pedestal as you're little, just, I wanted to be that. I was like, I want to be just like you. Like um, Steph Kuska, Emily Repko, Shannon Scotchko, those were just a few names of girls who, oh, and Ashley Ronberger, who was an incredible gymnast. I just wanted, I would watch their YouTube videos over and over and watch them do college gymnastics and watch them do their videos because I just wanted to be like them. And I would just mimic everything that they did because I thought well if I put myself there I'll get there what's the difference between college gymnastics and elite gymnastics because when you're saying oh elite is the Olympics like wouldn't that just be a higher level of accomplishment or is it like, um, why so would you have to pick between I don't understand that there's a couple like generally speaking the biggest difference is when you're a college gymnast um, you're at the am amateur level right so once you basically get paid and like get money and you aren't don't have the amateur level anymore you're no longer considered um to even be a college gymnast um in elite gymnastics as you saw like in the olympics this year um the point system is different than college so at a call in college there's a 10.0 and there are is the highest start value so you want to start at a 10.0 there are skills you can do that'll add up to that 10.0 start so you start at a 9.4 for three of the events and you do certain skills that have certain value to get you the 10.0. Whereas compared to elite gymnastics, certain skills that you do, you have like a difficulty part of your skill and then how you perform. So they're judged differently and they're on different point scales, but elite is more um, like it's very high level. Like these girls are training like 30 plus hours a week they eat, sleep, and breathe gymnastics. This, the difficulty of the skills they're doing is way higher. Um, but there are a lot of, like Michaela Skinner, who competed at the Olympics, mm -hmm. she actually went to Utah 
and was a college gymnast and then tried to go pro. And that was her second time, or not go pro, but went for the Olympics. Um, just because you go for the Olympics doesn't mean that you lose your amateur status. It all depends on if you're getting paid. So, and this was kind of, I assume this is, I remember a few months ago we talked about like, you are saying like men's gymnastics is like. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really sad. Okay, so. so but that's like. Is that similar? Because you were saying something about the points and the way they change. Like that's right. kind of what you're saying. So yeah, the point system for men's is it's very similar. It's they have it's not out of a 10.0 anymore, um, and they changed that at the college level as well. And you had seen a lot of men's programs dropped, but there has actually been a few in the last few months that have added. We've added a few women's and men's gymnastics mm-hmm. programs at the collegiate level over the last six months, which is huge. Um, that's it is it's huge, but. I mean, men's gymnastics is just so incredible. I mean, if, if I don't it know is. if either why, of you so Why do you think that's not like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, even talking to Pat yesterday, he was like, men do wrestling, girls do gymnastics. I was like, what? But yeah, why, I think why there's don't a men do, like, yeah. Um, it really depends. So depends on where you grow up because certain states don't really have a lot of men's gymnastics um, or they don't have a lot of club gyms that provide men's gymnastics versus women's gymnastics. Um, but certain states like Illinois or like even here in Virginia, like they, like they have high school gymnastics for girls and I did not have that. Like Pennsylvania, that wasn't a thing. Um, so it really depends on like where you grow up. It depends on the environment you're in and to be a male gymnast, it, I mean, it's easier to be a male gymnast if you're kind of built like Matt Fraser. It's like you're shorter, you're strong, you're built. The taller guys don't really, um, I mean, they can do well. But yeah, we're not going to speak that upon the tall guys. That but we're not going to, yeah. That they don't have the, strong shoulders. We're not going to Yes, they that. can do it. I mean, there was a, a male gymnast at Penn State that was like 6'1 at one point. And I was like, what do you do? Like, what are you doing here? But he was incredible high bar swinger. So yeah. it just, it really depends on where you grow up. Um, but I don't think when you're, I mean, when you were little, what, you wanted to play baseball or soccer or basketball. It's not like, oh, I want to be a gymnast. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of where it comes from, I guess. I think in the United States, too, it is really difficult because there are so many different things that you can do, right? So this discussion also happens on the soccer level. Mm -hmm. And soccer is the most popular sport in the entire world, and it's not close, right? Mm -hmm. And my my buddies are huge soccer advocates, and they're like, yeah, just give it it 30 more years, and soccer is going to be the number one sport in America. And I'm like, no, it's not. And they were saying this 30 (laughs) years ago. And I'm just like, Brazil, like... They pretty much eat, sleep, breathe that, right? Yeah. I mean, you got some other stuff, but, like, that's the number one thing. I mean, that's basically what American football is to us, right, is, is soccer to the rest of the world. And um, I think that's really difficult for kids in the United States or for sports like gymnastics, maybe on the men's side, just because there's so much competition and demand for different sports and so many different choices. And you only got 24 hours in a day to be able to yeah. do something. And I think it's important at a young age to do – Gymnastics. I mean, I don't know if either of you did like taught classes, but um, I believe the eight between three and five. I mean, you get so much cognitive like development and purpose, all those great things that you learn. I mean, I have little kids that are three that are up on a medium, like four feet off the ground three years old walking backwards on a balance beam. Hmm. I mean, to me, like, and they're just like, they're living life. They're like, oh my God, I'm on top of the mountain. Um, But those things are so critical for child development. So 
I know personally, hopefully if I'm fortunate enough to have kids later on in life, I mean, they're going to, they're definitely going to start with gymnastics and they can take whatever they want, but they at least need to get through that developmental stage. I think it's just very, very important. For sure. So that was something that, um, you know, I'd always, I'd always kind of said, and that was from my experience with CrossFit is I was like, I saw, I saw CrossFit as a sport and I was like, hmm, the people who are really good at this. And when I'd see people come in who'd never done CrossFit before, they have a background in gymnastics. I'm like, oh, you understand how to move your body through space. And that's really important. And so I always said the same thing. Like, I want to put my kids in gymnastics really young. And I had a woman kind of, like, turn me off to that because she basically said, like, gymnastics is, like, one of these sports where, like, it has to be the kid's whole life. And if it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not going to work. And they, like... I don't know. Like, it's well, like right. you're talking about it like so much because there's so many yeah. different disciplines and everything else. Like, right. not at like a little kid's age, but like once you get to like, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, it's like. I mean, yeah, level nine and once you're at level 10, I mean, level 10 is the highest level, right? And level nine and 10 are very, very competitive. So, how it works is there's compulsory levels where everyone does the same routine, um, same music, same everything. And it's more like uniform and it basically develops them so that when they become an optional gymnast in level six through 10, they have more freedom and they can do different skills. Like for example, when I was a compulsory gymnast, I was not very flexible. I was very strong. So I didn't score very well on certain routines because I didn't have my split all the way down. So when I would do that part of the routine, it's like, oh, you, I get deducted for that. Um, But once I went to the optional program where I could play to my strengths and do things that are more like switch sides or like in a straddle split versus a like a regular right or left leg split I was like crushing it so I just believe for child development that I mean I'm also very biased because I did gymnastics for like 20 years um which by the way people were like coming across me and they're like oh you're cheating you did gymnastics I was like cheating Uh, I dedicated like 25 hours every week from age like six to like 20 <laughs> to basically yeah. developing myself. So I don't think that's cheating. I just, I just put a lot of extra work in. But I believe at the young age, it's so important for the development. And then if they decide they love it, I mean, they just continue to go. But it really depends on the gymnast. I mean, we have girls in certain programs where it's like, oh, I like to do all these other sports, but I also want to do gymnastics for fun. So you have a recreational program. It really depends on where you go. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, it definitely, it does get to a point where it's like, okay, you really need to be all in on this or not all in on this, depending on what your end goal is. Yeah. I think that's funny that people think you're cheating because you go to gymnastics. Yeah. It's like gymnastics, I feel like is that one, (laughs) like people are strong, like strength conditioning and then it's like gymnastics. And so it's like gymnastics takes the practice part of it. And there's a lot more neurological, like skill development stuff that you need for gymnastics that you don't need as much for conditioning or strength. Um, and so I think people, they see that and they're like, Oh, she did 20 years of skill work and now she can perform at this level because she's strong and has conditioning. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't see that it takes that to do that. Yeah. It takes a long time. It's for example, I was working with, I said this to Morgan because we were working on handstand walking and I was like, I put it, I tried to put it in a perspective of, When you were born and you were this cute little potato and you weren't able to walk or do anything, what did you do? You crawl. So you you learn how to 
move with your body, then you learn how to just stand because your legs are all wobbly. And then you start to walk. I'm like, so how long does that process take? And you're doing it every day. It takes a year. It takes a year, a year if you're doing it every single day. Mm-hmm. So a year and a half. So people, when they're like, oh, well, I want to walk on my hands, I don't understand why I can't walk on my hands. Like, I'm strong enough. And I was like, well, there's a strength element, there's a technique and a rhythm element to it. And they're like, oh, that's why it takes so long. Because it's, when you put it in the perspective of learning how to walk, you're now learning to walk on your hands. So it's important to learn how to hold, like, just like a child. Like, they learn to stand and they're holding the wall. Mm-hmm. And then they learn how to stand without the wall. And then they learn how to take steps and walk. It's the same thing. Handstand holds on the wall. Handstand holds without the wall. Learning to take steps. And so, learning to fall. Because as a baby, all they do is fall. Like, they take a few steps, yeah. they fall, they get back up, and they don't think about... I mean, at that point, they're they're developing. They're like, oh my God, I'm never going to walk. Like, <laughs> they're a baby. Like, you, And you have to look at it like... Um, it's like the Ted, Ted Lasso. Like, he says, be a goldfish. Like, their memory is like five seconds. Mm-hmm. Just like the child. Like, they fall... Maybe they cry a little bit and they're like, okay, let's try again. Mm-hmm. And that's the perspective you have to have with all the gymnastics movements and CrossFit because you are going to fall. You, It's going to take a lot of failure to get that first success, but then you get a taste of it and then you want more and you get hungry for it. And I think that's the gymnastics side that's different in CrossFit than the weightlifting side or the conditioning side because it'll be easier for most people to get better at the conditioning part and the weightlifting part uh, than it will be the gymnastics. For sure. Going back to your time at GW, when, what, so first, why did you make the decision to, to go there? So I actually had... It, it, an opportunity was presented to me, so I ended up uncommitting to the original school I was going to go to. I didn't feel like it was a great fit. And I was in a position where it was September of my senior year. And normally at that point, people commit in their junior year of high school. So at this point, I was thinking, I don't know if I'll get a scholarship. And if I don't, I I can't go to college. Like, I couldn't afford it at that point. Um, Or I would just take a year off and, like, try again. And I was at a Region 7 high-performance clinic, and my coach went around. I was like, hey, does anyone have a spot? Does anyone have a spot? Like, just trying to, like, go around and see what was going on. And at the time, the assistant coach was like, oh, well, we have a spot. Is she interested? And I was like, oh, okay, like, George Washington, I've heard a lot about it. I know a lot of very strong academic people go there. And, but I've never been there. Like, I haven't been to D.C. I'm not sure. So I ended up going on a visit and I just instantly fell in love with this campus. It's like two blocks from the Lincoln, three blocks from the White House. It's like right in downtown D.C. It's the only school that's actually in D.C. that's right in the heart of D.C. And there's just so much going around. So when I went and visited, the team was incredible. They were very cohesive. They are very welcoming. And it felt like a sisterhood. And after meeting with the team and then looking at the academics, I was like, wow, this is like it's like a dream come true. Like I would love to go to this school. And I remember sitting down with Margie after my visit and she was like, Hey, so like, what do you think? I was like, wow, this is great. And I was just talking about it. And it was the first time I had met her. So I was like very nervous. Cause like she, I mean, at this point she's been at GW for 35 plus years. She's been there for her whole, like mostly her whole career. And she's like, yeah, so we want to offer you a full ride. And I just started crying. I was like, what? <laughs> I 
was like, is this happening? Like, like pinch awesome. me, I must be dreaming. And to me, it was like in that moment, I was like, I did it. Like everything my mom and dad gave me, I finally, like I'm going to cry thinking about it, but like I felt like I finally did what my parents had given me. Like, That's awesome. And then when I got there, I was like, okay, what more can we do? Like you want to accomplish so much, but GW was the, the best four years. I wouldn't take anything back. It just academically, the professors, the team atmosphere, being a student athlete, like being able to represent yourself, not just you, but like the whole program. It was, I, I couldn't have asked for a better experience. It was amazing. Super cool. <laughs> I love GW. I, I bleed buff and blue. That's why I tell people like that's our school colors. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an incredible story. And, and I love all that. Um, talk to us more about what was, what was the day in the life like as a, as a college athlete? Um, oh. Start there. Day in life as a student athlete. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that was, so the biggest thing is like you're a student first, you're an athlete second. And I mean, the, your first year, like as a freshman, it's just like you're just basically thrown to a wind tunnel and you don't know what's going on. And you're just like trying to adapt constantly. But on a normal day, you would get up at 6 a.m., you go to training table, you'd see the trainer or the athletic trainer, and we'd get in the van um, at 7 a.m., and we'd drive to Chantilly, and we would practice at the facility until about 10 a.m., then we'd drive back, which is nice. I liked the transition of, okay, I'm being a student, driving out to practice, I'm going to be a gymnast, now I'm going to drive back be a student. So it was a really good, like, separation. Um, since we didn't have an on-campus facility. Yeah, that's a long ways to go from D.C. to Chantilly. Yeah, it's like 20 minutes, 20, 20 minutes. But, like, at that point, it's like, you, if you're not driving, you get to, like, take a nice little nap in the van. Yeah. And then you get there, and you're like, okay, I'm ready to go. Um, so it was actually, I really enjoyed that. I thought for a while, I'm like, oh, the kind of, you would it would be really great to have an on-campus facility, but I really liked that we, I mean, the facility's massive, and it's all to us for, like, the 18 girls on the team. So it was a really great space. But then you'd get back, see that like trainer, and or if you had time to, unless you had an eleven ten, then you'd rush to class, like do your classes, do your study hall hours, um, and then like do all your studying, and then wake up, repeat, and you would lift about two to three times a week. But it wasn't just school and gymnastics. What was really cool is we really focused also on like the community. So we did a lot of volunteer work. We did a lot of stuff with career development we have a an amazing amazing alumni base um that still this day bleed buff and blue i mean they they're incredible um not just with like oh you have you have alumni that donate but like you have alumni that care so much about you and how well that you perform it's like having your team of 18 times like 500 because you have all these people that will reach out to you and like want you to be successful so it's such a great community um and just representing something more than yourself with someone next to you like the person that's sweating next to you that's pushing you i remember my junior year i had to learn a de-release move on bars because they changed the code and i was like i don't want to do that like it's just that's scary to me it was just really it was something that i was like i never want to do this i just won't do bars anymore and my teammate, uh, Jillian, came out to me. She's like, well, you cannot do it and let everyone down and feel sorry for yourself. <laughs> or you can get up and you can do it because we know you can and we need you to. I was like, okay. I was like, okay, so I'm going to do it. It was an easy decision at that and point. And then I was like, okay, great. But it was, 
it was so much like if you succeed and I can be better than you, like that's the standard and you keep building off each other. Like I've never been in an environment where everyone around you just wants you to keep getting better so that they can keep chasing you to get better or vice versa. I mean, there were events where I wasn't the best at and I would look at Jill or I'd look at Alex or Cammy or anyone that was on the team and be like, oh, I can do, I have to get to that level because that's the expectation. And I think having that with just the athletic side then carries into your academics. It carries into what you want to do in your professional life. Mm-hmm. And it, the whole experience was, it's just like unlike anything else I've ever done in my life. And I, I'm so thankful for it. And that's part of, you know, why I'm stoked to be on a team with you. And like, <laughs> when, no, seriously. Cause like, when yeah. I, you know, I sent all of you guys a message and I was like, I was like, Hey, look, I, you know, if I'm going to set this as my goal, like I'm going to have to sacrifice time with my family. I'm going to have to sacrifice time, you know, for my business and other things that I could be doing in order to train more to be a part of this team. And I'm willing to do that as long as everyone else is doing the same thing for the same reason. Mm-hmm. And you guys are bought in. So I was like, that's awesome. And now having this conversation with you, it's like, oh, well, you've been doing that for, my 10 life. years now. Yeah, exactly, right? So yeah. um, I think that's super cool. When I think there's a certain point where, um, you know, you look at, there are people next to you that want you to be successful and then there's other people that want you to fail so that you can be successful. Mm-hmm. And that's just, I've never looked at it that way, but there are definitely, there are people like that out there, but why would I want you to fail so that I can win. Like, yep. I want to win outright. Like, yep. I want you to be the best you can be, and then I still beat you. Yeah. Um, and, like, those are the type of people that you want to surround yourself with, is that... For sure. There's no mediocrity. I mean, you just don't want... I don't want to be mediocre, like, at anything. Like, I want to be the best at everything. And, obviously, you can... I just believe you can get there. I don't think there are any limits, unless you limit yourself. Yep. And with this team, too, like, I... Every time you post something or Carly or Pam, I like comment, I'm like, yes, like hard eyes. Yes. Keep going. Keep going. And I think that's something Morgan had said to me too. She's like, wow, like you, you actually want me to be successful. I was like, damn right. Like why, why wouldn't I want you to be successful? I mean, why would I be working with you or say something to you if I didn't mean it? And I think a lot of times there's this stigma, especially as a woman, like, no offense to you guys, but like no, as a woman, definitely. there's a lot of like, oh, I want to be better than this person. Or I want to be better than this person. And you can want that, but if you can't be happy for other people's successes, it's going to be really hard for you later in life. And so sure. I watch Sydney work out sometimes. I'm like, oh my God, she's a beast. Like I want to lift that heavy, but I'm not going to be like, I'm going to be better than you one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I'll, maybe I'll think that to myself, like one day I'm going to be lifting as heavy as Sydney, but I'm not going to go up to her and smack talk i'm gonna go up and be like you're amazing please keep going because it's gonna make me want to push myself better for sure and that's how i look at the people in the gym and like i don't look at it as like oh, i don't like this person or like this person's better than me this blah 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 it's like that doesn't matter like what are for sure what are you gonna do about it you go up and ask like carly was like hey can you um send me some handstand work Stop. i was like for sure like i would love to do that and i just because i want people to be successful more sometimes than I want myself to be successful. Yeah, that's really cool. My closing thought, I think I'm going to tag along with kind of what you just said. 
um, which is something that I heard someone say this past year, actually, because I've been doing a lot of look into like financial stuff and working on my personal finances and everything. And with money, you have I have this idea that it's like, oh, there's like a certain amount out there, you know, and like I have to get my amount, you know, and it's like it doesn't really work like that. Like success is not a finite resource. And someone else having massive success doesn't take away from my ability to have massive success. And I see that in every aspect of, like, every industry, everything. You know, like, I want every other CrossFit gym in the area to be so successful because that's going to help me be more successful. And I think that, you know, people have this idea where it's like, oh, well, if Monroe gets a new member, then that means that's a member that I can't have. And it's just like, that's just not the reality of the world. Mm -hmm. So I love that you said that. But, yeah, what's your closing thought? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, choose happy and just gratitude. Chelsea, I think, hit the, hit the nail on the head a lot with this stuff. And just, like, you can choose your attitude within the gym or whatever's going to be going on in your life. And the more that you're, you're grateful for the things that you have and not resentful for the things that you don't have or the opportunities or the barbell that you can't lift, uh, the happier that your life really is going to be. And that's certainly been a testament in my life. So I'm going to say that. Choose happy. Uh, practice gratitude uh, every single day. Chelsea, closing thoughts. Close us out here, girl. Well, first I just want to thank you guys because talking about gratitude, I mean, you have given me an opportunity to kind of talk about my life. So I'm really, I'm really thankful I got to share that with you guys and for anyone who ends up listening to this podcast. But kind of going off what you said, it's everything is how you view it. And if you can change your perception or change how you look at just one little thing in your life, um, because adjusting your attitude can take time, um, especially if you're trying to be positive all the time. I mean, there are times where I'm definitely not, and I'm just like, I'm just going to go outside and scream. I'm going to come back in. I'm like, okay, hit the reset button. And just looking at it as, okay, let's hit reset. What can I do about this? And focusing on positivity, um, that's just going to make you a lot happier. It's going to make you a lot more successful, and then you're going to gravitate more towards those people. So. Cool. I think that's what I love about it. Can you do one last thing for us? You had mentioned earlier in this podcast that there was some, you were like, I know every word to this. You called it something. Oh, the attitude statement. Yeah. The, the poem. You, yes. Would you like me to recite I want, that? I would like you to add it, recite okay. the entire <laughs> attitude statement, just so okay. I know what it is. Okay. So it's, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures and successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a team, a company, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change the past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string that we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with us. We are in charge of our attitudes. Make it happen. Hell yeah. <laughs> We're good at it. Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast. Have a great day. <laughs>